continue the life of Moses in our lesson, the classics, teaching the old through the new. We're uh, sharing the mic today, so excuse me while I get wired for sound a little bit. But good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining in today. And uh, to all of you who have expressed birthday greetings, thank you. Uh, but I don't want to have any more birthdays. So, um, but anyway, thank you very much. I'm at the stage of my life where uh, let's, let's not talk about that a lot, but thank you very much. And uh, honestly, thank you very much for praying. Uh, I've been struggling with uh, adult onset asthma, actually uh, almost a couple of years now, and uh, so um, my, my breathing might be labored a little bit, but honestly, I'm doing okay, and I'm very, very thankful for your prayers. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14, our series here at Wyoming Valley Church, as Pastor Todd said, is on the classics, the classic stories from the Old Testament. And uh, today we're going to talk about the story of Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. Probably most of you will understand this opening illustration, and that is every year at Easter time, uh, there, is there are several Christian religious movies that play on TV, and one of the classics is Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. That was actually made in 1956. And uh, comparatively to our time, even today, uh, even back then, it was one of the most expensive movies ever made. And uh, according to uh, the classic source, Wikipedia, it has been on TV at Easter time every year since the early 70s, even though it was made way back in the 50s. And the scene is, is uh, like I said before, is a classic scene in that movie with uh, Charlton Heston as uh, Moses, Yul Brenner as uh, the king of Egypt. And the classic scene is when they, the nation of Israel escaped from Egypt. Pastor Todd preached last week about that, about the plagues and about the imprisonment in Egypt. And it's the classic scene in that movie when they get to the Red Sea and the, the, the army of Egypt is uh, pursuing them and the nation of Israel uh, is trapped by the Red Sea. And in that movie, I, I guess they, I understand that uh, it took them six months to film that scene, and most of the time uh, was spent with people things, making sure that the people got exactly where they were supposed to be. And uh, again, that scene in that movie, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, that scene is, is, is by expert standards one of the greatest special effects of all time. And maybe even sometime look it up about how they filmed that and how they did that, and you'll remember many of you uh, have, have seen that movie. Today, what I want to do is talk with you from the Bible about Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And uh, from God's word, this is real life. This is not made up. 
This is real life. It's real. It really happened. And I want you to place yourself in that circumstance a little bit because we're going to try to do today is make a very practical, everyday human application to this story. Exodus 14, I'm going to take the time to read all the way through that narrative. Exodus chapter 14, I'm going to take the time to read all the way through that. I'm reading from the New King James today, folks. I, I usually do, but that's, that's the, the Bible of choice today. And I'm going to read that chapter. Follow along with me, please, in your copy of the scriptures at home or wherever you are today. Uh, Exodus chapter 14 starts this way. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon and you shall camp before it by the sea. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then, verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt, that the people had fled the whole nation of Israel. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that they, left, that they, that they let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, verse 7, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Verse 9, so the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea of Pi-Hiroth and Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, verse 10, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. The text says, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is it Not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses, verse 13, said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today You shall see again no more forever. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will follow them. And so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And then verse 18, Then the Egyptians will know, shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, the chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went <coughs> excuse me, from before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then verse 24, And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. Verse 27, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But, verse 29, the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and to their left and on their left. So the Lord saved, verse 30, saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And then the last verse, verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. That's our text, that's the word of God. Pray with me, please. We'll ask God's blessing upon our Bible study from this narrative, from this passage today. Father, I thank you for your word. This uh, certainly is one of the classic stories in the Bible, the classic story of Moses, the children of Israel at the, the Red Sea. Father, I pray that you'd take something which is familiar to some of us because of Sunday school days, maybe some of us because of a movie, but God, help us to realize that this is real. This is real life. It happened. It's in your word. It's truth. But God, I also pray that you'd help us learn the lessons in our hearts, in our lives that you have for us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Help our hearts, my heart, to be open to what you want us to learn and what you want us to do for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I've been talking about the classic story 
of Moses at the Red Sea. But here's the application that I want to make for today. You ever feel trapped? In this passage, and I read it, and I'm not sure I emphasized enough with my voice as I went through, but if you look with me at each, or at, excuse me, at Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, the last phrase there says that the wilderness closed them in. The uh, children of Israel had escaped by God's providence from Egypt. Pastor Todd went over that last week, the plagues and, and all of that. God allowed them to escape from Egypt, and they went into the wilderness and were following what God had for them to do. They were. They were following God's instructions. And the Bible, earlier in Exodus, it makes it clear that that's exactly what they were doing. And so as they traveled to the wilderness, they came to the Red Sea. And they literally felt trapped, closed in. That was their feeling. You ever feel trapped? I actually, by the, by the magic of a Google search, searched all of the, not all, but the movies and the, the uh, TV shows and books even in real life and made a word cloud, that's what this is, of some of the situations in life that are often uh, put in literature or in the arts about feeling trapped, underwater, in fear, on a mountain, in an abusive relationship, financial pressures by a volcano, by violence, in a bad marriage, trapped by addiction, trapped by bad habits, trapped. Bible talks about that in sin, other than Jesus Christ. And in life, there's lots of situations where we feel trapped. Sometimes some of us even, like right now, during the COVID, the coronavirus thing, have that feeling in life. And so what I want to do is talk with you a little bit about, did you, have you ever felt trapped? The nation of Israel had escaped from Egypt. They traveled through the wilderness doing exactly what God would have them to do, and they came to the Red Sea. And I'm certain that they felt trapped by the hostile wilderness around them, by the Red Sea, and then, oh my goodness, oh no, here comes <coughs> in those days, the strongest army in the world <coughs> was coming after them. The Egyptian army with chariots and horsemen. All of that description that I read to you was all about the might, the strength, the military might of the Egyptian army. And literally, the children of Israel felt trapped. And so what I want to do, and I'm going to build principles from this story around this application, and that is how to trust the Lord when it feels like we're trapped. Life has a way of doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's always that way, but the feeling of being trapped, of being closed in, as Exodus 14 talks about, is very real in life sometimes, folks, very real. And so we're going to talk about that as we go through. In this passage, I want to share with you some basic principles. And if you have the notes, I put them on the Facebook page. You can look at them or print them if you want. That's, that's all right. Or just maybe just jot them down on a sheet of paper there by your Bibles. But I want to talk about three basic principles. And number one is this. <coughs> Keep your eyes on the Lord. 
and not on the circumstances around you. That's number one. What do you do? What do I do when you feel like you're trapped? I think number one is keep our eyes on God. To realize that God, we, we're going to read that. Uh, Pastor Todd read that passage from 1 Corinthians in a little bit, and we're going to look at it again, is to keep our eyes on God. God there is an escape with him. And God has a, a plan, and God will use circumstances in our lives and not on the circumstances around you. If you would look at those verses, verse 10, verse 13, and verse 31 in this passage, first of all, look with me at verse 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. Verse 13, drop down a couple verses. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then all the way down, the last verse in this chapter that I read, Israel saw the great work of the Lord. Folks, it is so important that during difficult circumstances in life, during times when it feels like life have to, has us trapped in, the solution must be that we keep our eyes on God and not the circumstances around us. That it has to be that we keep our eyes on God. In fact, I put there in the notes a little box uh, that has some basic principles from Scripture about this point. And, and I, just, I just jotted down from my Bible study five things, five ideas that might help us keep our eyes on the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not going to take a lot of time to go over this with you <coughs> because you can do the Bible study on your own. But I do want to highlight some things. How do we keep our eyes on God? How do we do that and not the circumstances around us? Number one, number one, Psalm 19 talks about the, the majesty and the beauty of creation. And in that one Psalm talks about the word of God as well. And so number one, Fill our minds with the Word of God. When you feel trapped, make sure that you're in the Word of God and that the Bible is speaking and it's God's Word in your life. Number two, keep our eyes on Christ and not what is around us. That passage in Matthew 14, you know it. It's a story of Peter walking on the water. Actually, the disciples were in a boat, and a storm came up, and they were scared out of their minds. And they looked out in the water, and Jesus, the Lord, was walking on the water. And Peter, Mel's paraphrase of the story, Peter was like, God, if it's, re if it's really you, let me come out on the water too. And he did. Peter, amazing courage, got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And in Matthew chapter 14 it has a phrase in that passage which is really unbelievably profound. It says, Peter says, and when he saw the wind. Friends, can you see wind? No, but you can see what wind does. In fact, when he saw the wind boisterous, it says, he took his eyes off Christ and began to sink. And that's how our lives are too. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of the Lord, we're going to sink. Life is going to be hard, and we're going to be in our way down. Still, I'm very thankful, Christ. You can picture it, right? Peter walking on the water, scared out of his mind, and yet he had the faith to get out of the boat. And he looked around and saw the wind and started to sink. And Jesus reached out his hand and was the lifeline to Peter. Number three, 
actively remember, and then I put in parentheses and help our children remember the works of God. One of the ways to keep our eyes on God is to remember what, he, what he's done in the past. The nation of Israel, we're going to look at that a little bit next week too at Pastor Todd's message. And They often forgot what God did. In fact, many, many, many times in the Old Testament, God instructs his people to not forget the works of God. Look back. Don't forget what God did. And I don't know if you journal or whatever it is to help us remember what did God do. Tell God stories. Tell God stories to your kids so that they grow up knowing this is something that God, that God did. That's incredibly important. Number four, the Bible also talks about <clears throat> in Romans 1 that one of the ways we can keep our eyes on God is to get out in nature and see the hand of God. That is really, really practical right now with the coronavirus. Get outside and look around. Our daughter was a missionary in Germany, Christy, and the uh, meteor shower was going on last week. And when she put on Facebook that one night after midnight, she went out and took a blanket and just laid down the ground and watched a meteor shower up in heaven, the handiwork of God in creation. And that's a good way to keep our eyes on Christ. And, and then another one that I talk about a lot in Acts 11. This goes along with Peter's story. But in Acts 11, it tells the story of the Antioch church. And when Barnabas got to Antioch in Acts chapter 11, it says he saw the grace of God. Always look, folks. How do you keep your eyes on Christ? Look for what Christ is doing in the lives of others. I said that passage in my mind is a lot like Peter on the water. You can't see wind. How do you see grace? I think you see grace by realizing that God is at work in people's lives and God is changing other people's lives. Folks, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. God is changing others. He can change your life too. He can change my life too. How do you keep your eyes on Christ? I think in scripture there are some very practical things and interwoven throughout the story in Exodus 14 about the children of Israel at the Red Sea talks about eyes and looking and seeing. Folks, it's really, really important that we keep our eyes on Christ. And those are just some ideas on how to do that. Number two in this passage, rely on God's resources, not our own natural instincts. Rely on God's resources, not our own natural instincts. I read you the story, and this is familiar to a lot of you. And if you look back through this story and Exodus chapter 14, there's some um, interesting phrases that are built into the passage that I just want to review for you for a moment. I, I changed the color. I don't know if you can tell that at home on the PowerPoint slide. We'll come back in just a second to verses 10 and 13. But if you look with me at verse 14, verse 21, verse 26, verse 27, let me just read them for you. You have your copy of the scriptures open. Verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. Verse 21, the Lord caused. Verse 26, the Lord said. Verse 27, the Lord overthrew. You read this story, and I think you have to come to this conclusion. God's hand is all over it. It's all over the story. This is something that God did for them. I don't think anybody can look at the Red Sea story 
and saying, oh my goodness, it just happened. Scientists have tried to, do, tried to prove that or just prove that for years. This without a doubt, without a doubt, is a God story of something that God did. And so realize that we serve the same God today. We serve the same God as the God who divided the Red Sea and let the nation of Israel cross on dry ground. We serve that same God today. And so realize we can rely on God's resources too. There in your notes somewhere on the page is an empty box that says take a few moments and jot down some of God's resources for your life. God's word, God's son, the church, fellow believers. God's economy, God's system, God's church filled with resources from God. He's given us his word. We don't have to flounder. God has given us his word, and God has given us incredible resources. It's the same God, and it's really, really important that we understand and we rely on God's resources. And I think, again, if you look through this story, you got to come to this conclusion. God did this. And I think if we look back on our lives, my life, your life, I think we have to come to the conclusion. God is at work in our lives, too. God did this, changed our lives, making us Christ-like. And one of the things that I've tried to teach my children and and my family is that what are those things that only God can do? Let's be a part of that. And the nation of Israel is certain, certainly, this story is certainly a story of something that only God can do, God resources. We serve the same God today. God did it. God did this. The Red Sea story, you have to come to that conclusion, that that is what God did. And I think it's important that we highlight that just for a minute as well. Now, I told you we'd come back to these other two verses. And let me do that just for a second before we move off of this. I want to just ask you a question. Remember, my principle here is rely on God's resources, not your own natural instincts. Because this passage points out two very human natural instincts that that in one way or another we've probably all faced when we're in a situation where it feels like we're trapped. We've probably, we've probably felt both of them. Number one is we're often trapped by fear. We'll talk about that. And then also, we're also tempted to complain. And the nation of Israel certainly did that. Pastor Todd is going to talk even more next week about that as well. Let me, let me show you these things from the text. If you were to look <coughs> at the passage of Scripture, and there in the notes I gave you some other references as well. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 says they were very afraid very afraid exodus 14 13 god says to moses do not be afraid and i think it's important to camp there for a few moments and talk about that i don't know if you've ever studied this in the scripture i did a little bit last couple of weeks uh, knowing that i was going to speak today do you know the phrase Fear not 
is mentioned over 80 times in the scriptures. 80 times, fear not. Look them up sometime. It's obviously that God doesn't want his people to live trapped in a life of fear. The nation of Israel was very afraid. They felt trapped. The enemy was coming. And God says to them, verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to tell you a quick story, which is really kind of a dumb story that happened to me and my family years ago. We used to live in Michigan. Peggy, my wife, and her family is from Iowa. And so um, several times for vacation, for vacation or holidays, we would drive from the Detroit, Michigan area out to 80, or out on Interstate 80, out to Iowa. If you've ever done that, uh, here, here's the route. <coughs> we lived near Detroit and Michigan, so we would take Interstate 94 uh, west through Michigan. It curves down around Lake Michigan, <coughs> and then it goes south of Chicago. Interstate 80 goes all the way from uh, New York City, George Washington Bridge, actually all the way across the country, and it goes right through Des Moines, Iowa. So we would connect <coughs> with Interstate 80 there in Chicago as well. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I mean. Right there south of Chicago, it seems as if every interstate in America comes together right there. And I don't know if you know this, but they actually have a city ordinance that there has to be construction. And uh, one time we were traveling, it was a hot, hot summer day. We were traveling from Michigan where we lived out to Iowa to see Peggy's family. And we got there, Gary, Indiana, right in there, Hammond, Indiana, <laughs> at rush hour. And traffic, we found out later, was backed up for miles. Back, backed up. It was stop and go, literally. You'd sit there in the car, hot, inch forward a little bit, stop, inch forward a little bit, stop. And that's how it went for a long time. And to this day, to tell you the story, I don't remember if a uh, hot day trapped in traffic jam there in Chicago, south of Chicago. And to this day, I don't remember if I was talking to my wife and yelling at the kids or yelling at my wife and talking to the kids. I don't know. And uh, I really wasn't paying attention. And I... Uh, hit the car in front of me. It ended up being, we checked, not a whole lot of damage. It was one of those fender bender stuff. The traffic had stopped. I wasn't paying attention. The guy in front of me had just stopped dead on the highway. And so my front bumper of my car hit his back bumper, you know, like one of those numbers. And right there in the interstates in Chicago, this amazing thing happens. This guy that I hit, and again, we found out later there really wasn't even any damage. The guy throws his car in the park, throws open the door, and comes charging at me. He's madder than a hornet. And he comes charging back at me in the traffic there. And his fists are clenched. His face is just bright red. Sweat is pouring down. And he's swearing at me as loud as he possibly could. And everybody's <coughs> in the car look, looking around. And, you know, I'm there sitting in my air conditioning with my car. And uh, so, you know, the guy's, the guy's just charging at me, swearing, face red, sweat pouring down, swearing at me. So I said to Peggy, you know, I better, I better get out and see if he's okay. And Peggy's like, no, don't go, don't. I'm like, it'll, it'll be okay. And so I, sitting there in my car, 
I put my car into park and opened my car door and got out and stood up. And I don't know how big that guy was, but people, I'm telling you, he wasn't very big. And he did one of these numbers. And his mouth dropped wide open. He quit swearing. His face, I told you, was bright red. It turned stone cold white. And the sweat started to go back up. And he opened up his fists that were clenched. And I'm not kidding you. He turned around and ran back to his car because of my size. I really didn't pay attention until after all this was over, what was happening. So I followed him. And I walk up to him in the car. By the time I get up there, he's taking both hands and he's trying to lock the door, old-fashioned lock. Then he realized his window was down and he's trying to do the crank thing and, and all of that. And he's inside his car and he's going, go away, go, go away. He's scared to death of my size. Right then, I kind of looked around and all the people were watching this happen. Everybody in their cars were going, yay! <coughs> and folks, I, I thought about that story a ton. I was the one who was nervous. Whenever you ruin somebody, it's your fault. And uh, I knew it was my fault. I was the one who was scared. I was the one who was nervous. But that guy saw my height, my size, and was scared out of his mind because he saw the size of the obstacle in front of him. Folks, fear does that. Fear has a way to paralyze us, to make us want to, turn around and run in the opposite direction. You read this chapter and the story, the whole narrative of the children of Israel in the Red Sea as they complained and wanted to go back to Egypt because they kept their eyes on the circumstances around them. I want to just build some principles real quickly again. What do we do from these two verses? How do these two verses that I highlighted, verse 10 and verse 13, help us about what do we do? What should we do when we're afraid? There are times in life, humanly, we get afraid, right? Even though the Bible says 80 times, don't fear. I think here's some quick outline points of bullet points. Number one, if there's anything this passage teaches us about the nation of Israel, Folks, when you're afraid, cry out to God. Moses did that, the nation of Israel. We have God, something only God can do. We have God at our side, and we can always pray. Number two, we need to physically, intentionally, that's a better word, put away fear. We can do that by, again, looking at the size of our God instead of the size of the obstacle in front of us. And there are times that we need to. As Moses told the people in verse 13, Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see. Humanly, we try to get out of it on our own. We want to run. We want to go back. We want to fight. Whatever it is when we're afraid. Folks, put away fear. Stand still. And watch God work. God is at work. God always is at work. And I talked to you before about how do we keep our eyes on Christ. And so when we're afraid, there's some, verse 10, verse 13, incredibly practical 
principles that we can build into our lives that we can do when we're afraid. The second, I got I to talk about this for a few minutes. And uh, friends, I need to tell you that, uh, that God's convicted me about this one this week. Because the second thing that the children of Israel did was complain. We're going to talk more about chapter 15 next week. But if you look at chapter 15, the chapter really is, this is like the very next thing that happened. After God did the incredible, the Red Sea, go through the Red Sea, the waters are there. To go through the Red Sea, the people complained. You go to one more chapter, and the whole congregation complained. I want to I say this with all the love that I can in my heart. You know, a uh, complaining, negative, critical spirit can spread like wildfire? Can. You ever see, you ever been around, maybe even on TV, uh, a forest fire? I used to work at uh, Clark Summit University, up in Clark Summit, Baptist Bible College, when I was there. And I used to, when I was a student there, our college actually had an old fire truck and had a crew that would go fight they did go fight forest fires in Pennsylvania. And if you look, if you're on the campus sometime of that college, you can stand and look um, out toward Interstate 81. And then there's a hill that goes, you know, I mean, it's, it's quite high. And it goes over the other side of the hill. It's called Bell Mountain over toward Dixon City and, and all of that. And one Saturday morning, I'll never forget it. Um, the top of that mountain had a forest fire. We went out back um, of our dorms, and some of the guys, my friends from the college, went and fought the fire. And in the beginning, there was just one patch of smoke and one little section of uh, flames you could see from, from the college. And within just a matter of moments, you could watch the fire spread. It was a hot, um, dry period of time. and The embers would drop and start this fire in other places, and the embers would drop. And I thought about that fire this week a lot, watching that forest fire. And again, if you've probably seen him on TV, you know exactly what I mean. Complaining spirit does that as well. No wonder the uh, whole congregation started to complain. Folks, we need to confess that to God and get rid of our complaining negative spirit. Social media, in person, complaining. The nation of Israel did that. And I think it's human nature that when we feel like we're trapped, we start to complain. Like, like we could have done things better. We could have done things differently. Absolutely not. But that complaining spirit <coughs> spreads like a wildfire. It's no wonder that in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. Pastor Todd read for you this morning. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there, turn there back, back there with me. 1 Corinthians 10. It's amazing to me that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, uses Moses and the Red Sea as an illustration of this. And we read it before. I'm not going to read it to you again. Maybe jot down the reference, which I have there on the PowerPoint. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. And it talks specifically about the Red Sea story in all of that. And to drop down a few verses and look at verse 10, look at verse 10 through 13, where it says, verse 9, nor, nor let us tempt Christ, test Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them, the children of Israel, complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Then it says in verse 11, now all of these things happened for happened to them as examples. I have that underlined in my Bible. And they were written, listen to this, for our admonition. Those things were written to teach us, to teach me. People don't complain. And then it says this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That guy in Chicago was mad. He was bold until he saw the size of the obstacle in front of him. If you think you're cocky, you're all that. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then one of the, I, I know you know this verse, one of the classic verses in the Bible. If you don't, folks, memorize this verse. This is, this is a good one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I know you know this, a lot of you. It says this, no temptation which is, a, which is a broad word there. Let me highlight that for a minute. It doesn't just mean be tempted to sin. It means like trials or big picture thing. Let no trials, no trials have overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen? <laughs> Amen. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the trial, big picture, with the trial, will be able to make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. That phrase I underlined on the slide, make a way of escape, is not always to get us out of the trial. You can study the language on your own. Sometimes it means go through it. Nation of Israel escaped from their enemy, Egypt, escaped into the wilderness. And they came to the Red Sea, trapped by the army, trapped by the wilderness, trapped by the Red Sea. And God's plan was to go through. Who knew that God would literally split the Red Sea that they could dry through, go through on dry ground. Folks, trust in God's resources. Don't complain. Don't be afraid. Trust in God's resources. We have, that's why I gave you that box. Jot them down. <coughs> we have some incredible resources that only God can provide and only God gave us, and we can rely on those as well. One more principle, and I'm done. Number three is this. Give God the glory for everything. It's not because of our own abilities.
God won an incredible victory here. God won an incredible victory. If you look at verse 18, it says this. Then, verse 18, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I win this thing, God says, the Egyptians will know. In fact, if you go back earlier in the book of Exodus, that is a major theme, that God is going to work so much that the enemy, the world, is going to know that he is God. And then drop down a few verses and look at verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord has done. And so I'm not, I'm not going to make a bigger deal of this than it is. But you look at verse 18, the Egyptians, the world is going to know. And then verse 31 is that Israel is going to see the work of God. That's why we need to be concerned and on the lookout for things that only God can do. Because when we give God the glory, when we give God the credit, we understand that God has been at work. And the world around us, who knows us, who knows that we're not that good, we're not that kind, we're not that loving, that they're going to see that only God could do that too. And I think that's why we've talked, I, I mentioned it, Pastor Todd read it for you, all the way back in 1 Corinthians, the last, in ch verse, or chapter 10, the last verse in that chapter says this, whatever you do, if you know me, you know that I love the alls, the everys, the always of Scripture. There's another one. <coughs> Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I think if there's anything that this story teaches us is that the Egyptians ended up, the Egyptians end up dead because God won a victory. But they saw God at work in their nation and, and, and so, did the, so did Israel as well. Whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. We realize that when we're in situations like that, we're not strong enough, we're not tough enough, we're not bold enough. We're going to be like that guy in the car in Chicago running the other direction when obstacles hit us because we're going to be afraid and scared out of our minds. Basic principles for trusting the Lord when you feel trapped. Number one, Keep your eyes on God, not on the circumstances around you. And I gave you some practical ways to do that this morning. Number two, rely on God's resources. Look for things that only God can do. Not on our own natural instincts, which are to be afraid and to complain and get other people around us to complain. That's wrong. That old, that old Bob Newhart video clip. Just stop it. God's convicted me about that complaining spirit. Just stop it. We don't need that now. We don't need to complain and get other people to complain around us. That's not something that honors God. And give God the glory <coughs> for everything. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's certainly not us. It's certainly not me. What do you do when you feel like you're trapped? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord when it feels like you're trapped. And look for things in our lives that only God can do. And glorify him through it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. This is a familiar story. 
Red Sea. I mean, we've read it Sunday school days. There's been movies. We talked about that today. But this is real life. It happened. <coughs> and here in this story, there's some very real practical principles for our lives as well. God, I admit to you that there are times that I feel trapped. I feel closed in. God, help me to trust you. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me to rely on your resources instead of me, which is always going to be fear and complaining. And God, help me give you the glory to look for things in our lives, to see the grace of God that only you can do. Father, we look around and we need your hand. We need your guiding direction in our lives. And we have it from your word. So, oh, oh God, help us to keep our eyes on you. Father, I thank you for your word in this classic story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, thank you very much. Thank you. <coughs>